0: You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Let's, let's do another thumb report in. How did week two of your fasting and prayer go? Middle, up, down? Okay, I like it, yeah. Gotta pray for some people over here. No, I'm just kidding, it's good. It's fine, it's fine. Be Be honest. Um, I'm at the point with my fast where I've started to get creative with my water consumption. Um, so I, I felt like God was pushed, putting on my heart to give up all drinks besides water, and I, I accidentally keep saying, you know, that I'm only drinking water, and people are like, "You're not eating for 21 days?" No, I'm eating. I'm not that spiritual. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm only drinking water as. My beverage of choice. Okay. And so I've got the point where if you saw me this morning, you'd be like, I don't know, I saw a coffee mug. Yeah, I'm heating up water in my coffee mugs. That's where I'm at. Uh, someone this week was like, you know, you could maybe put a little lemon in it. And I was like, I'm receiving that as a word from the Lord. Yes. <laughs> so I just like a little lemon in there, I'm like, it's still water, it's still count, you know, just try to get creative with my water. Um it hasn't been easy. It really it really hasn't. It's been stretching. Um, Kind of the one sentence prayer I find myself saying over and over again is, Lord, sustain me. Lord, you sustain me. Like, I don't, I know I feel like I need it, but I don't need it. I don't need caffeine. I don't need sugar. Lord, you can sustain me. And so that's been kind of my one sentence little prayer, sometimes out loud in the middle of like meeting with someone at a coffee shop. You know, they're like, let's go to the coffee shop. I'm like, can we go to a library or like <laughs> meet in the front row of our church far away from the kitchen? You know, Um but there's been a lot of great stories coming out. I'm not going to share any of those today. I'm going to hold on to those. I'm hoping you next week will come and just share, like, what's, what's this experience been like for you? Uh, what have you learned? What have you felt God do in your life um, over these 21 days? So come next week ready to go for that. I did want to show you a picture, though. Um, in the intro of this series, I, I told you the story of Susanna Wesley. If you remember that, Susanna was John's mom, John Wesley's mom, and she had 11 children, uh, she actually had 19 children, but 11 survived, and uh, she had uh, just a crazy house, as you can imagine. And so she would put the, the apron over her head to pray, just so she could have, a, like, quiet moments. Kids knew, mom's got the apron over her head, leave her alone, she's praying, right? And I, and I assume that a lot of the ladies in particular might appreciate that story, because it's just hard to, to, to find some alone time with all the kids and everything. So I wanted to show you a picture that I think might speak a little more to the men, all right, someone, someone this week sent me this picture. Let's put this up there. So you know the whole like pick a place? Everybody, you need to pick a place. Where are you gonna do this? This guy reads his daily guide at work in the, in, in the cab of his excavator. And so he's just like, hey, I'm doing my devotions this morning. And, he, and he's there at the work site just getting ready to dig in literally and spiritually. And he's like, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I was kind of, he said, I was feeling kind of discouraged. I was falling behind. And my buddy at work, who also goes to our church, said, well, why don't you just bring it to work with you and do it, do it in the morning at work. And so for me, it was just that reminder, like, it doesn't have to look the same for everybody, right? Prayer is different for all of us. It can be in a different place. Um, It, it, can, it can sound different or whatever. How we pray may be different, but the goal is the same, right? The goal is being fully present to God and just and, and keeping, keeping present to God, not to just pray one time, right? And just go, okay, I've done my prayers for the day, I'm good. But, but to actively continue to seek Him uh, throughout your day, even at your, even at your work site. And so I just, I just thought that was really cool. Um, and actually, I think there's a lot of interest in the world today about prayer. Now, we may not call it prayer, prayer's not cool. So we call it things like meditation. Or mindfulness because um, those are more like just I think respectable and in, in our culture but statistically speaking there's less people attending church there's less people doing what we're doing here this morning but it seems like there's more and more people interested in prayer and, and I find that really fascinating um, you walk into a bookstore or a shop at the airport you are gonna see tons of books about meditation and all these things In in 2013, the New York Times ran this really lengthy article about a man named Robert Hammond. Hammond is a a wealthy developer in New York City. And he was at the height of kind of his career and, you know, super successful. And he decided he was going to leave all of that behind and go to India for three months to, to meditate at these retreat centers. And this is in the New York Times. This article was written about the guy. And the, the author of this article was just like gushing over how awesome it is that this guy would drop everything and, and go and pray. And he talked about thousands of Westerners, that's you and me, Europe, America, uh, who were doing this, who were taking time to go to these monastic retreats in Asia and, and you know, get in touch with themselves and, you know, all of these kinds of things. Um, billionaire media tycoon Robert Murdoch. Maybe you've heard of him. He owns Fox and uh, Wall Street Journal, lots of media outlets. He recently tweeted, okay, he he tweeted that he's learning transcendental meditation. And I I think his tweet's kind of funny. I could just see him typing this out. He said, it's not that easy to get started, but it's said to improve everything. He's tweeted that out. Like, I don't know how to get started. It's kind of hard to get started, but they, whoever they is, they tell me, that this will improve everything in my life. So there's this growing interest. It, it seems that many people, even people who aren't, would, wouldn't consider themselves religious, maybe they would even consider themselves skeptical, are finding themselves drawn to some form of prayer, even if they don't call it prayer. And I step back and I think about that and I go, you know, it, it's almost like there is a God who put, In us, this instinct to want to connect with him. Imagine that. Imagine that. Now, not all prayer is Christian. I want to be very clear about this. Uh, Every religion has some form of prayer that I know of. But not all prayer is Christian. Because who we are praying to and and what exactly we are seeking from God uh, matters. Right? So in the Old Testament, if if you grab a Bible and open up the Old Testament, if you're on the Bible app this morning... Click on events. If you go to events in the Bible app, Clip on Mountain View Church, you're going to have all the scriptures and notes there. It's a great little tool. But in the Old Testament, Moses is, uh, he's talking about what sets Israel apart from the other nations around them. And he gives us two things. And he's talking about this. It's funny because, you know, Israel was surrounded, right, by other nations, other religions who had their own rituals and and how they would communicate with the gods or how, how they thought they were to communicate with the gods. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses makes a really profound claim. He's talking about the importance of the law and all these other things. And then he just kind of drops this little little nugget in here. So verse 6, Deuteronomy 4. Observe them carefully, talking about the laws. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all of these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? So he mentions two things here that he says sets Israel apart from all of the nations, all of the the other like religions around them, right? He says, first off, our law. He says, there's some wisdom here. And when I think wisdom, I think it works, like, if you're wise, like, you just do the right stuff. It just, it, it works. Uh, it's not just about head knowledge, right? It's about when you put that knowledge into practice, it, it it just goes well. So he says, other nations see our laws and go, wow, they know how to live. Like, this is working right. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing he, noticed, he says is different. He says that when we pray, our God really listens and draws near to us. He says the other religions around us can't make that claim. And this is a key part of Christian prayer, right? When we we pray, it is not just like a self-help exercise where we're trying to become aware of our own selves and, and consciousness and thoughts and feelings or whatever. Like we truly believe that when we pray that there is a God who comes near to us and he hears us. That's different. Uh, Maybe maybe to help get this, you you could kind of think of it in three different uh, pitchers or or, or cups. I I was going to use cups, and then I realized watching online in the room, you may not be able to see them well. So I had to go into the coffee area to get these this morning, And, and in the fridge was Diet Coke. Lord, sustain me. I was... I can do this. Okay, um, so to help you kind of get this, see, you see cup one, right? It's all dark and, and whatever. This is kind of represents all the things in our life that we'd like to get rid of, right? It's all the toxins, uh, whether that's spiritually, mentally, whatever. It's the thoughts that aren't pleasing to God. It's the, it's the toxic patterns and behaviors we've learned throughout our life. It's our past trauma Um, it's all of the stuff of life that's hard and and that that we want to kind of rid ourselves of, negative emotions, experiences, all of those things. And this is a gross oversimplification, I understand this, but a lot of modern meditation is simply about trying to get rid of those things, to to empty yourself of your past and of your thoughts and trauma and all this, and to, to rid your mind of those things so that you become empty. That, that's, again, I'm oversimplifying, but that's a lot of Eastern religion, a lot of Eastern prayer. The goal is to escape your thoughts, to escape the world, to get rid of all of these things. And, and please understand, that's not necessarily wrong. I think a lot of us could benefit from going from cup one to cup two. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff in our minds that we should probably learn to filter out and be cleansed of and whether that's negative thoughts or emotions, experiences, whatever, and, and we would do well. Like it would be a healthy thing for us to get from cup one to cup two. But Christian prayer goes a cup further. And Christian prayer, the goal isn't necessarily to just empty yourself, to, to lose you know, your thoughts or your consciousness or to escape from the world. That's not the goal. The goal is to, be, to seek to be filled with God. So you go from emptying yourself. Yeah, that's great. But, but Christian prayer, what did, what did Paul say in Ephesians? Right? You mean, uh, Ephesians chapter three, we talked about just a week ago, I think it was, where Paul's prayer is that we would be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. He didn't pray like, Lord, help them to be empty of X, Y, or Z. Again, not that that's bad. He, he prayed, God, that they would be full of your spirit, that you and I would experience God in such a profound way that we wouldn't we would get rid of some things in our lives, but it would be in order to make room for more of God. That's the whole point. And I think, again, oversimplification, but I, I think much of modern spirituality is about getting here. And I think Christian spirituality is about getting here. About making room for God himself to fill you, and then to carry that presence into every area of your life. So when we pray, we're not just going from bucket one to bucket two. We're trying to get to bucket three. Now, I, I think one of the biggest questions we have, though, when it comes to prayer is, is why? Like, does it make a difference? Like, why should, why should we even pray? It, you know, maybe, maybe my time would be better served just like doing something, <laughs> Because I just, you know, what's the point of sitting and, and praying rather than taking action? And, and I think this is a tension in our souls, isn't it? Have you ever, under, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever felt the tension between praying and, and, and action? I, I think I feel this all the time. And so I want to examine three different attitudes when it comes to how we think about prayer. And I want to just alert you, the rest of the sermon is going to involve some math and some grammar you good? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. The doors are locked. You can't go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, you're always free to go. It's not going to be hard. There's no test. Take a deep breath. It's, it's not going to be hard. Okay. So like, let just go with me. This is easy. Okay. So attitude number one, attitude number one is prayer is greater than action. You remember greater than, less than signs? See, not that hard people. You got this. Prayer is greater than action. I think if we're not careful, and, and, and sometimes we, it's dependent upon how you grew up or maybe what church you went to or how you've been raised or whatever. I think if we're not careful, we can fall into this attitude where prayer is what like really matters to God. You know, just to be quiet with him and seek him and pray about him. And, and action or like what we do is kind of on a lower level. Like it doesn't matter as much. It doesn't make as big of a difference as prayer. And it makes me think of this story in Acts chapter 12. If you want to flip from the Old to the New Testament, jump over to Acts chapter 12 with me. Fifth book in in your New Testament. In Acts chapter 12, persecution breaks out against the followers of Jesus. Herod is on a rampage. Uh, He's already killed, had James put to death. Then he arrests Peter. He throws Peter in prison. He puts him under lock and key. He, he puts him in chains. He's got 16 different guards that, that guard him throughout the day, like four groups of four. So like he, he can't go anywhere. And his plan is, is he's going to put Peter on trial. So what do you think the other Christians start do, doing when Peter's arrested? Pray. Right. Look, there's really only two answers in church. It's either Jesus or pray. Okay, so <laughs> come on, guys. Okay, yeah, they start praying. They start praying. So Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. And in the key word there is earnestly. Right? It wasn't just like God maybe kind of like, all right, cool. Like passionately going after it in prayer for Peter. And and over and over, right? Some translations say they prayed without ceasing. We talked about that last week. This idea that they just like, man, they're not going to stop praying for this. And so here's what happened because of their prayers. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. It's like, he's not going anywhere. They've got him surrounded. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, by any definition of the word, this is a miracle, right? It's like, that, this doesn't just happen, like his chains fall off, the guards are still asleep, there's an angel involved. Pretty good sign it's a miracle when there's an angel involved, that's typically how it works, okay? So the Lord, what's what's happened here? The Lord has answered the prayer of these people who were praying for Peter in a miraculous way. And if you read the story for yourself, he's kind of confused. I mean, you would be too. (laughs) What is going on here? You're an angel. Wow, okay. So he grabs his stuff and he kind of stumbles out into the street and he goes to find the rest of the gang who are hanging out at Mary, the mother of John's house. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, different Mary. We know that this was kind of the first century hub of early Christianity. They met at John's mother's house. So that's where he goes. Okay, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, meaning like when he understood what was happening, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They're still praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. I love this story. Okay she, she's so excited. She doesn't open the door. Um, my kids, my kids do this from time to time. They, they got some friends that they're expecting to come over, or maybe the neighbors finally, you know, are back home from school or whatever, and they get excited. Their friends are here, or they'll find out that grandma's coming to visit, which is happening here in, in a few weeks, right? So the countdown's going, like, only a couple weeks, and now two days, and now it's the day grandma's coming. So grandma will get out of the rental car and come to the door and my kids are like, Grandma's here, you know, and they're jumping up and down. Grandma's here. And I'm like, open the door. Like, let her in, dude. What are you doing? Grandma's here, you know. Grandma's not gonna be here. She's gonna get in her car and go back home if you don't open the door, you know. That's what she does. She hears it's Peter, and Rhoda, this young, we know she was a young girl, young servant girl, tells everybody, Peter's here. Listen to their response, verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. Talk about Debbie Downer, you know. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. You're out of your mind. When she kept insisting that it was so, like I'm telling you the truth, they said it must be his angel because that's easier to believe than, than that it's Peter. Like how, like... <laughs> Okay, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. This is interesting. So, what have they been doing? They've been praying and praying and praying for Peter. They, they were still praying. They didn't actually expect God to answer their prayer. They're they're surprised, huh? You mean you mean it worked? I I think this illustrates the problem with this attitude, right? That prayer is greater than action. First of all, it it misunderstands that prayer is action. That's a whole other topic. But if we believe that prayer is greater than action, it will lead to passivity. It, It will lead to us being passive. So, well, I guess we'll just have to keep praying about it. You know, all I can do is pray about it. And Lord, would you do something to help them? And... Could you help me and help this person? And, and, and meanwhile, sometimes while we're praying, we have the resources and all that we need to do to answer the prayer that we're praying. Like, so for this story, it's like, you can pray. Prayer is, good. Prayer is always the right first step, by the way. But it's not the only step or the last step. At some point, you have to open the door. At some point after you've prayed, you got to go, I believe God has heard me and I haven't gotten a clear no from him in this or whatever. And so now I'm going to step towards it in faith, believing that, that God has heard me. Right? So, so prayer greater than action leads to passivity. Attitude number two is the opposite, right? That prayer is somehow greater than action. Or sorry, prayer is less than action. Prayer is less than action. This is the opposite of the first attitude. I think if we're honest, this is the one that most of us are probably a little bit more tempted to fall into than the first. Where, where we think that, you know, prayer doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really matter. Like what really counts is what I do. And so I'm not going to like spend time. I'm going to waste time praying about it. I, got, I don't have enough time for prayer. So what time I do have, I'm going to use to do stuff. Would you agree that that's probably more of a temptation for us than the first one? I mean, maybe not. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. and You should be giving this sermon. Uh, but I, I, think James, I think James has a word for us in this that I think is so key. Okay, James chapter 4, 13 through 15. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So he says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Um, I think if the last year, two years have taught me anything and taught us anything, it's that... It, Control is an illusion. Like, you and I were never as in control as we thought we were of our circumstances. Some of us are, like, kicking and screaming against this. We're like, that's, I'm still in control. And I'm like, okay. so." There's a river called denial. Um, Like, no matter how smart we are, no matter how planned out we are, and and we have everything figured out, and, and how much money we make or whatever, like, There's just so much to life that's out of our control. That is beyond us. Like, we can't do, like, couldn't do anything about it. And it drives us nuts. And James is reminding us of that here. He's, you know, it's not wrong to make plans, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to go to this city and spend a year. It's almost like it reads like a business plan, doesn't it? This guy's kind of got a a business plan laid out and how he's going to provide for himself or whatever. That's nothing wrong with that. That's not sinful, right? That's good. But James is saying, if you knew what God knew, if you knew how uncontrollable most most of life really is, then you would pray more than you plan. I think that's what James is saying. If you had the perspective of God on your day-to-day life and then like eternity as a whole, not that you would stop making plans, but I think you would pray way more than you plan. And if I had to summarize James's thoughts here in a nutshell, I'd say he's saying we are dependent, but God is dependable. We are dependent, you and me. We don't like to admit it, but boy, we are. We are dependent. Thankfully, God is dependable, so we should pray. This is hard. It's, it's the opposite of everything we've been taught growing up, right? In the physical world, the older you get, the, the more mature you become, the more independent we expect you to be. Isn't that kind of the goal uh, when you're raising kids or whatever? Like, you know, when my son is three, I help him tie his shoes and he figures that out. You know, if I'm still helping him tie his shoes at 30, someone failed. <laughs> like I failed, not him. I failed, Right? Because that is the expectation, that as we grow up, we would become more independent. Uh, we would learn how to do more things on our own. We would uh, get a job, get a driver's license, move out of the house by the time we're 45. Like it's, I mean, that's the goal. In Oregon, <laughs> I mean, that's the way it works, right? Nobody can afford rent. Uh, that, that's maturity, physically, is to get more independent as you age. Spiritual maturity flips that on its head, because in spiritual maturity, the more you grow in your faith, the more you realize you're dependent on God. Do you get that? The more you need him, the more you can't do anything without him, the more you realize, wow, there's so much I don't know. God, thank you for being in control. We are dependent. God is dependable, and when we forget that, what's the result, right? If the first result was passivity, like we just don't do enough, This one, if we believe that prayer is less than action, it equals pride. We start to think it is all about us and what we can do and how we can figure everything out, like that we're in control. And I think if we're honest, we would admit that those of us in the Western world, meaning the United States, some of the more wealthy European countries, we have a harder time with this. We're slower to learn this because when you live in a developing country or a poor country, it seems that people who have little access to earthly power seem to get this better than we do because they don't have a choice. They wake up every day and when they pray the line in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, give us our daily bread, they literally mean, God, I don't want to I don't starve today. Help me to feed. We pray that prayer and we go, give us our daily bread and then we open our fridge and look at our 17 options of bread. And so we, we live in this illusion that we're in control and that we've got everything figured out. And there's a lot of people around the world that I think could teach us something about this, that no, we need God. And there's things that only he can do for us and that he is way more in control than we are. Attitude number three, lastly, is, and you, you see this probably coming, but it's prayer plus action. See, this math was easy, right? Less than, greater than, plus. You guys, are, you guys are with me. Here's where we're getting a little more geeky, right? Come, come with me to the land of grammar. We're gonna, we're gonna talk some grammar for a little bit. Any language arts teachers in here? Okay, cool. So if I get this wrong, nobody can tell me. All right, sweet. Okay, I wasn't very good at grammar growing up. Um, so in grammar, especially when we talk about verbs and sentence uh, structure, there's sort of three voices, all right, so the first is the active voice. The active voice is when the subject is doing the action. You initiate what's happening. So for example, uh, I counsel my friend. I, I'm doing that, right? I'm initiating the action. That is active voice. Passive voice is kind of the opposite. Passive voice is when you are the receiver of the action. So in this case, that would be I am, I am counseled by my friend, you, you, are you tracking with me? That's the passive voice. You didn't start the action. It's being done to you. You are receiving the action. There's this little known voice called the middle voice. Um, it's weird. I, I don't remember ever learning this growing up. Apologies to my elementary school teachers. Uh, if, I think you failed me. I really do. No. Uh, they're not watching. It's fun. Uh, it's The middle voice is is unique. The middle voice is when you you participate in something, but it's been initiated by someone else. Like you're an active part in it, but you're not in control of it. So if the active voice is I counsel my friend and the passive voice is I'm counseled by my friend, the middle voice would be like "Um, I take counsel. Because you're involved in the counseling, right? You're showing up, you're receiving the counseling, you're an active part in counseling. That's honestly the only way counseling really works, by the way, is if you engage in it and take a part in it. You're in the counseling, but there's a counselor as well who has actually kind of initiated the conversation and the daily uh, meeting. The middle voice. Eugene Peterson, one of my pastoral heroes, says that that is the realm of prayer. That prayer takes place in the middle voice. So there's a longer quote, okay? It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. He says, I do not control the action. That is a pagan concept of prayer, putting the gods to work by my incantation or rituals. I am not controlled by the action." That is a Hindu concept of prayer in which I slump possibly in the impersonal and faded wheel of the gods and goddesses. No, I enter into the action begun by another, my creating and saving Lord, and I find myself participating in the results of the action. I neither do it or have it done to me. I will to participate in what is willed. The last sentence is a bit of a mind bender. Think about that for a minute. I will, or like my desire is to participate in what is willed, what what the desire is of the one I'm praying to. Are you tracking with that at all? In other words, in Christian prayer, you and I, we don't control God, active voice. We don't God doesn't work for us. He's not a giant vending machine in the sky. If we can just put the certain amount of prayers in and push the button, we get what we want. That's just not how it works. Nor are we controlled by him. Like we're puppets and we really have no freedom and just whatever he wills is kind of what happens and we don't really have a say in the matter. So what's the point in praying anyway? Peterson says it happens somewhere in this middle where we are are intimately involved and we cooperate with the desires of God when we pray. I think that's the sweet spot, And that's, that's where attitude number three leads us, right? If, if believing that prayer is greater than action leads to sort of this passive, like not really gonna do anything, or, or believing that uh, action is greater than prayer leads us to pride, like, well, we're doing it all and it's all about us. Attitude number three, prayer plus action, that equals power. Because then we're not just praying about what we want. We're praying about what? God wants and when we can align what we want with what God wants man that unlocks the key that unlocks the power of God in our life now what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want that's the question isn't it That's a question we all struggle with Um, I've been pretty transparent over the years like for me uh, you know when I lost my mom to cancer over 10 years ago, I, I didn't want to pray anymore. I thought, what's the point? I mean, I, I was praying and people were praying. We were on prayer chains. Because I, I thought, you know, there was a, a math problem out there. Like if you get this many people praying at this many churches, God would have no choice. He'd just have to do what we were asking him to do and heal my mom. And he, and he didn't, at least not the way that I wanted him to. I mean, she's whole now. She's better now than she's been in her entire life, but... When you're like 25 years old, that's not the way you see it, you know? So what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers? Lately, my perspective has been changed by reading the prayers of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we looked at the prayers of Paul. Now I want to talk about one of the prayers of Jesus. Do you know that not all of Jesus' prayers were answered? Like, you would think if there was anybody who could get God to do what he wanted, Jesus would have a leg up, you know? Like, Kind of got a direct line. <laughs> but for instance, one, one of Jesus' prayers was that his disciples, his followers would be unified. right? That we would be one, just like he and the Father are one. We'd be, we'd be so close and so of one mind and one heart, we would be just like God and Jesus were. Well, There's thousands of denominations these days that all disagree on all kinds of different stuff. And because of the events, I think, of the last two years or so especially, like, we're more divided as Christians than we've ever been in this country. And it makes me wonder, like, is Jesus still praying for that? Like, is Jesus sitting in heaven right now going, like, Lord, make them one. Hear my prayer, make them one. Because we're not in a lot of ways. He didn't get what he wanted in that prayer. But the one that really stands out to me is his prayer prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. Many of you might know this story. He's about to be crucified. He's days away from death. And he goes to the garden of Gethsemane, which by the way, Gethsemane means oil press. I don't have time. I had to cut it from my notes this morning, but man, there'd be a lot to learn about what happens when oils are pressed and how, how that might happen in suffering in our lives. But So he goes to the garden of oil pressing, the garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. Here's the story. This is in Mark's version of it. Verse 32, Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. All right, we believe that. Like, God isn't limited, is He? You can do anything you want, God. Everything is possible for you. So here's his request Take this cup from me. This is the cup of suffering that he's talking about. I don't want to do this, I don't want to die take this cup from me. Then he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is a remarkably vulnerable picture of Jesus where his humanity is on full display. He's crying, he's weeping, he's falling to the ground. It says he's sorrow to the point of death. Like he feels like he's gonna die even before he's dead. And he begs God to find another way. It might be one of the only recorded times where Jesus asks for something for himself. You don't see this very often. And yet Jesus says, it's not about what I want, but what you want, God. That's what he means there. Yet not what I will, but what you will. John, John Calvin calls this the third rule of prayer. It's what he calls submissive trust. There's part of prayer that, that brings us to this place. It's similar to what James said, isn't it? We should say, if it be the Lord's will, I'll go, you know? Jesus prays that, Lord. Yeah, not what I will, but you will. It's submissive trust. It's to pray, God, here's what I want. You tell me in scripture. You, you tell us, bring to you what is on our heart and, and request things. Like, we should. We should pray for things. Here's what I want. Here's what I believe I need. But, Father, I trust that you know what I need better than I do. And I want what you want more than anything. So I bring my request humbly before you, and I trust that you'll do what's best in your infinite wisdom. It's not easy to pray that way. I'd rather just pray and tell God what I want, and if I don't get it, be mad. Right? But that's not how Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed with submissive trust. And then if you keep reading the story, it's interesting. You see Jesus' reaction to those who come and arrest him. I I think the disciples, if you're watching this take place, wouldn't you be a little worried about Jesus? Like, dude, our leader is crumbling. He's losing it. He's crying out. Like, I thought he was going to be the savior, but he's, he's weak. He's crying. He's But then they come to arrest him, and Jesus goes from crying tears of blood, it says, to having zero anxiety about what's to happen next. And he steps into it with courage and love in his heart. In fact, the very next prayer he prays, he prays, Lord, take this cup from me. The very next time Jesus prays is, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I think it was his prayer in the garden and his submission to God in the garden of prayer that led him to be that, to, re, to see his mission for what it was, right? To recalibrate his heart and go, oh yeah, 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 that's, that's why I came. That's why I'm here. That's right. He reminded himself of that in prayer at that moment. And then he gets up. Now he's full of, a, now he's not just empty of his sorrow. Now he's full of grace and love and he walks towards the cross in confidence, And embraces it for you and me. Because that's what the Father had willed for his life. See, sometimes prayer changes our circumstances, and we praise God when that happens. But every time prayer changes us, when we pray, we gain a different perspective. We think about things on a higher level. We ask God to change our hearts and our minds. And we add this little line in there. I used to think this was a cop-out. I'll be honest. I used to think it was a cop-out to say, you know, if it be your will. Like I was basically like giving God a chance to get off the hook, you know? That's how I saw it. And now I realize it's not about that at all. It's about submitting my own heart and my own desires to him and saying, but what you want is best. And I trust that. Here's what I want. But what you want is better than what I want. So do that. Sometimes prayer changes our circumstances, but every time prayer changes us. Let's just spend a few moments in prayer this morning together. God, as I look out across the room this morning, I know this particularly, this, this last portion of the message is pretty raw to some of us. Because there's been things we've been praying about and prayed about and haven't gone the way that we'd wanted. Lord, would you meet with us? Would you speak to our hearts right now? Would you remind us of your love for us and your infinite wisdom? God, that doesn't mean you don't love us. Your word says that there's nothing that we can do. There's no place we can hide that is away from your love, Lord. God, help, help us to find that middle voice. Help us to find that sweet spot where we don't just rely on our own strength and our own action to do everything ourselves because we don't really think prayer makes a difference. And we don't just pray and pray and pray and pray and then never actually step into it and never really do anything, not believing that you've paid away, paved a way for us. Lord, help us find that sweet spot where we combine prayer and action and, and seeking your will together. That's where I want to land. That's where I pray as a church, we exist and we land. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like we've been doing the last few weeks, we're going to just have a time uh, of quiet together. If you want to sing along, you can. If you want to kneel, you can. If you want to stand, you can. But I recognize for a lot of us, this is the quietest, most focused, you know, hour a week that we get. and So why not just spend a few minutes of prayer rather than just always talking about prayer? Um, so you, you do business with God as he leads. 1982, uh, the famous evangelist Billy Graham was invited to the Today Show in New York City to record an interview. And the assistant, uh, assistant producer of the Today Show had set up a, a, like a private prayer room for Billy to go and pray before they went on national television. And it was a, it was a nice gesture, right, for him to be able to have this kind of quiet space to get alone and, and, and be with God. But uh, Billy Graham's assistant actually let the Today Show no, uh, that won't be necessary. That, that's really not, not that big of a deal. And uh, the assistant of the Today Show was actually kind of offended a little bit, like kind of taken back. He thought surely, you know, a great man of God like Billy Graham would want to have this place to go and, and pray before going on television. But his assistant replied, Mr. Graham started praying when he got up this morning. He prayed while eating breakfast he prayed on the way over here in the car you sent for us. And he'll probably be praying all throughout the interview. Right, Graham had a praying life. He didn't just have a prayer life. He was praying all the time. And I love that story because it reminds me and you, like we don't need a green room to be with God. This week you could be in the cab of your excavator You could be driving down the road. It could be a a chair in your house that you love. I mean, you could come and join us at 7.30 in the morning in the building. If you want, I'm still here, still doing it. Uh, You can join us 8.30 online. Like there's lots of ways you can join us for prayer. But like, just, just find your space and know that God is there. You don't need a green room to approach God.